You are listening to the No Formula Podcast, episode number 46. Welcome back to where we chat with a different entrepreneur every week, from app developers, sales experts, and coaches, to authors and social media influencers. We focus on their journeys, how they built their businesses, and the lessons they've learned along the way. Together, we confirm that there is no formula to success. I want to thank all the listeners that have been supporting the No Formula podcast. Be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts to let me know what you think about the interviews and don't forget to subscribe. In this episode, we chat with Sarah Boland, founder and CEO of the Life Lapse app. After film school, Sarah was looking for a creative outlet that would embrace her countless ideas. She started multiple side projects until she focused on the stop-motion video app called LifeLapse. After pitching her idea to Dragon's Den, she didn't get any funding or a spike in users on her app. So in this episode, Sarah tells us how she got over 1.4 million downloads, her motivation behind starting the app, and her advice on how to pitch investors. Try LifeLapse in the App Store or visit their Instagram page, lifelaps underscore app. In the meantime, keep listening to hear Sarah's tips on how to grow a freemium SaaS business. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I love it. All the way from Vancouver. Yes, it's finally sunny here. Oh, oh yeah, because it's always raining, you right? You can see like sun beaming <laughs> into the office. Usually we have a fan on, but... Um, I obviously don't right now for the purposes of audio and yeah. if Thank I start you. beating and sweat, you know why. <laughs> don't worry, you look beautiful. Thank you. So thanks so much for being with us. I just want to jump right into your story because I absolutely love it and I love what you're working on. So I just want to get to it. You graduated in film and then you joined mm-hmm. the film industry and I know you had a lot of interesting positions after you mm-hmm. graduated. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I went to film school with the hopes of becoming a video producer, actually. Um, After I left film school and dabbled in the film industry for a while, I don't know, maybe a year or two, I would say I quickly realized that the reality of me actually getting to create videos was not anywhere in my near future because if you want to work on large productions, you have to put your time in. And that's starting with guarding pylons, even on um, like indie film sets where you're not even getting paid. So lots of volunteer work, you like got to put your time in. On top of that, um, like the hours are just wild. (laughs) Like you work like sometimes 15, 20 hour days for three months straight. And that's just not the life I want to live. So yeah, I left and started actually creating, which really fulfills me. And that's where I spent five to six years of my career. Okay. So how old were you when you kind of like left the film industry or realized that it wasn't for you? Um, maybe I was 21. So like film school was only a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I went straight into it. Um, so maybe 20, 21. Okay. And then you said that yeah. you started reading for five, six years. Yes. And is that maybe the period? Seven years, yeah. Is that the period you're in now? No. So that was before I launched Life Flaps. Okay. So what was yeah. this creation period like? 
Yeah, so I started out at Clearly, uh, formerly known as Clearly Contacts. So they're mm -hmm. an online eyewear company. Um, they're pretty big in Canada. And I started out doing their product shots. So I'd literally take three photos of every pair of new glasses that would come in. Um, I quickly like grew out of that position. It was very mundane, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. um, and I created this video content creation role just with video blowing up on social media, I basically like morphed into that position. Mm -hmm. And from there on out, I have been creating videos for brands from, from multiple different brands, um, in-house and through freelance. Um, yeah, and then I launched Life Flaps. That's so awesome. Yeah. I actually, I get my contacts from Clearly still today. So that's super nice. cool. Cool. And I'm just wondering, um when you worked for them at what at what age were you before when you like started life laps um well i started three years ago and i'm 31 now so 28 i guess okay it's technically 27 and then a few weeks later i was 28 <laughs> yeah okay so how did you come up with the idea for life laps yeah so the idea was actually not what it is today mm -hmm. um and it was a personal time-lapse app. So think of somebody who's pregnant and they want to make a time-lapse of their bump growing over nine months. Mm -hmm. So to line yourself up between each month, unless you have a tripod staying in one spot for nine months, which who has a space or patience for that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the app launched for pregnancy time-lapses, travel time-lapses. So think of somebody who wants to do like a very specific pose in every city they go to, they can use our ghost feature in camera and line themselves up so that it's the same. It's kind of hard to explain. Um, maybe I can send you a video so you okay, can yeah, sure. have an example, but um, yeah, basically you can like line yourself up and then when you play the video back, it's like the background's changing and the person's in the same spot. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, but how did you Hence come up with life, life laps? Yeah, now it's life, right? <laughs> well, now um, it's life, it's still life laps, but yeah. But now it is for everything life, not just pregnancy bumps and traveling. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did you come up with that idea? I always have a million ideas for everything. <laughs> um, for me, I wanted to create an app that was really unique and different obviously there's a million different video apps out there um there wasn't anything specific for this mm -hmm. and i wanted to create something that would the end result for the person creating the video would be a really eye-catching video that would leave their viewers being like wow how did you create that i know um life lapse isn't your first business so can you tell us a little bit about your other businesses and how they actually helped you create Life Labs and the success that it is today? Sure. Um, I would say like my previous businesses, they're more side projects. Mm -hmm. so I have like shiny object syndrome. When I have a new idea, I'll like spend a couple months on a side project. Even to this day, I still launch all these side projects, even though last year I said I would stop with that because I just need to focus on growing Life Labs. Um, my other businesses. So we actually have another app. It's called Zoomy and it basically applies a slow zoom motion to any existing photos that you have or video clips. Um, 
over COVID, actually, I launched a business with my friend called Quarantine Greeting Cards. Um, and that was just to make moments still special. There were funny kind of cheeky sayings related to obviously quarantine and still make birthdays, anniversaries, um, stuff like that still special. And yeah, I feel like I, I just, I need that creative outlet always to mm -hmm. have thing. I always need to have a million things on the go. <laughs> um, it's not the most productive use of my time, but I do feel really fulfilled doing them, even though I, it usually feels us off after a couple months. Um, I love that you execute on every idea though. Not every idea, but... A lot of them though. If you're always yeah. having so many projects, it's so awesome because I'm the type of person where, yeah, I have a lot of ideas, but I'm always like, oh, it's not going to work because of this. And then I yeah. don't do it. So yeah. I'm actually wondering when you get ideas and because you've executed so many of them, mm -hmm. is there like a process that you go through every time you get an idea, like some kind of market research or to just find... Like if there's a viable idea? No, I don't do any market research, which is so bad. And I tell anyone who wants to start a business to mm -hmm. do that and mm -hmm. see first what, what's the problem that you're solving before you think you're providing a solution. But mm -hmm. usually with these other side projects that I launch, they're not really, there's no investment in them. So like the quarantine greeting card, we use a print on demand company. So it's all third party fulfillment. Um, I'm really into like building scalable businesses now and not trading mm -hmm. my time for money. So it's more of just like, if the domain's available, start the Instagram account, launch the email campaigns. Um, and it depends on the business, obviously, but that mm -hmm. was the process for the, the quarantine cards, uh, company. But even for the quarantine cards, like, how did you know there was a need for that? You just kind of went for it you're just like oh campaigns let's sell no them. actually I, I was going so it was a friend's birthday and mm -hmm. we went to the store to buy her a card my husband and I and like none of the cards just felt appropriate it was like yeah I have the best celebration ever but it's like meanwhile this is like yeah. April when we were all super hunkered down and it's just like this really grim time of like not being able to be in person with people and I just like there wasn't anything in the market to fill that obvious need of like, Hey, like, I think we had one that was like happy, have like a, Oh, happy birthday corn queen. I don't know. Mm -hmm. There's tons of like fun. fun yeah. Things. So very related to the times. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and like, obviously it was just such a fast thing that happened with quarantine that it was just like, we just jumped on the opportunity and, and went for it. I love it. Is it, yeah. are you, are you making any profit from it? So right now we're collaborating with an influencer in California to do these postcard packs and we've shifted away from quarantine and now it's on um, helping bring awareness to anti-racism. We mm -hmm. did some pride postcards um, and all the profits from that are getting donated to various different charities from Black Lives Matter to, um, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's so awesome. So I'd say like we made money on it initially, but now it's just all getting donated back in. And mm -hmm. if anything, like we came out even and it, I don't know, it was a fun project to do and to see people get these cards. It was, I don't know, it was awesome. I love it. I love that 
I love that you just execute on your ideas. You make difference. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to move on now and do something else. Yeah. So once the summer dies down, we're going to probably kind of fizzle out because we're not in quarantine anymore. So, mm-hmm. and it, it does take some time to like maintain the Shopify store and obviously yeah. the fees associated with that. So yeah, so just you- like acknowledge what it was and move on. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of time management, though, Mm. if you're having so many projects at once, how are you juggling it or what what usually gives? Do you have like a priority system or something in place to be able to juggle all of it? I wish I could tell you that I have this awesome like (laughs) calendar and formula for how I work, but... Mm -hmm. But it's it, a no formula podcast, so we understand. like. Do you are you do you allow swearing on your podcast? <laughs> yes, it, you it's can. a shit show. Okay, <laughs> my calendar is a shit show. I'll operate from periods where I'm like, like when we launched quarantine cards, for example, it was like from the second I got up to the moment we went to bed, it was like mm-hmm. working on this, and then in five days it was launched. And then I'll like, I'll take a breather. So I'm very, um, I don't really have balance. I'm like all in or I'm all so it's out. like cyclical. Like it'll take like two months, you'll yeah. go all in and then you're like peace for three months. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of like life lapse, it's at a pretty solid state now where it can mm-hmm. run on its own um, if need be. Obviously, if we want to continue growing it, we have to give it time and attention and love. And um, yeah. that's what we're doing now. So I am getting more into this phase of like, I just got this office. So I'm like coming in every day, leaving, putting in good hours, but then like going home and not working. Um, That's good. So I do feel like I have the balance now, but I know like if we're doing a major launch or I have my next business idea, it'll be like back to that chaos of Mm -hmm. all in. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, I don't know if you want to answer this question, but how many users do you have right now? Yeah, so we've got probably about 100,000 active, monthly active users. Wow, that's and so then, good. Yeah. And um, it's what, two years old, two and a half years old? It's coming up to three years, end of September. So I think total we've got maybe 1.4 million downloads to date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. Sorry, I yeah. just registered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... Also, if you can talk about this, because I think it's so interesting, especially with apps, it's how you monetize the app. So can you go into a little bit more detail of how you make sure that you're not only getting the users, but then you're making sure that they upgrade to like the pro or any other ways that you monetize? Yeah. So we're a freemium SaaS business. So software as a service, if you're not familiar with SaaS. Um, So people can download the app for free. They can literally create like a billion videos for free if they want. Mm-hmm. And then if they want to access any of the pro features, um, that's a pro subscription. So we have things like tools in our editor to adjust the brightness, the contrast of the video, that's a pro feature. If you want to access any of our royalty-free music or songs to go in the app, that's all part of the pro. Um, yeah, so that's how we monetize. It works out to be three bucks a month US um, when you subscribe annually. So it's pretty reasonable. That's very reasonable. And yeah, that's how we make money. <laughs> what do you think is the biggest lesson you learned from Life Lapse that you didn't learn from all the other businesses that you've had? Mm. I would say like this is my 
this is out of all the businesses that I've launched, this is the mm-hmm. only one I've, I've spent this much time and effort on. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say like my biggest learning is honestly just listening to our customers and seeing how they're using the app. Um, because as I mentioned, the app didn't launch as a stop motion video app. What we were marketing as three years ago is very, very different to what we're doing now, which is um, we're a stop motion app. So we help brands, influencers, and creators create really eye-catching videos with stop motion. And like we would have never pivoted to this idea and market ourselves that. And we build out features specifically for stop motion now had we not seen you know, those users eight months into launch creating stop motions with the app instead of these pregnancy time lapses or the travel time lapses. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. That must be hard though as, as the founder to like kind of shift your, your vision. Mm-hmm. So how did, how did you cope with that? Was, were you like, oh yes, of course we have to listen to what they're doing. Or again, did you go into market research and kind of look at competitors? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, like the obvious, there, there's one other major stop motion app that really didn't hold me back from pivoting because their platform is more for like claymation type of videos. What I'm targeted to is, like I said, brands, influencers, and creator creators. So we have, you know, we're not just a stop motion app. We're like this holistic one-stop shop where you can learn, you can edit, you can shoot. Um, and we're really trying to build like this large community of stop motion creators specifically for marketing. And I, I was happy to go with the pivot because for me, like, as long as I see people are seeing value in that and it's still a video app. So at the end of the day, as long as people are creating video mm-hmm. videos and having it like be more catered towards marketers is actually more in my space because I did work in marketing for, I need to figure this out, five to seven years, whatever that <laughs> time gap was, 21 to 28. So yeah, I guess seven years. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually feel like I can speak to this audience more and my target audience is is me. So it, it was an easy switch for me, but like yeah. I do recommend to entrepreneurs if you're not finding success with whatever your solution is now to don't be married to a specific concept Mm -hmm. or a product. If you see people are finding value in another way that you didn't initially intend for, then like, if you see the market is, is for that, then like, why wouldn't you switch to that? You know? Yeah. And that's actually one of your, your business tips is don't not being married to your initial idea and pivoting with what your target audience is mm-hmm. saying that they find value in. And if you don't mind, I want to jump yeah. into your other business tips. Sure. Um, so your next one is progress over perfection. Perfection. I yeah. wrote it wrong. I wrote progress <laughs> over progression. I'm like, so, what? <laughs> what does that mean? So your next one is progress over perfection. Yeah. Feel fast and learn. So can you go into detail about what that means to you? Yeah. So I, as you may have guessed, like I execute on things quickly. Mm -hmm. um, And I truly believe that if you are waiting for something to be perfect, it's never going to launch. And if you just put something out into the world, that's 
you know, maybe it has a typo in it or whatever it is. Maybe there's a minor bug. Obviously we do lots of QA testing, but once you just put it out into the world, you're going to learn if one people like it or not, or even like the typo example, people will tell you, and it's like, it's not the end of the world. Just update it. Maybe it's not the most professional, but you know, we're bootstrapped. I don't have the budget for this large team to be overseeing every minor detail that I'm doing, though I do have somebody now and it's awesome <laughs> to have a second <laughs> set of eyes because I absolutely suck at spelling and grammar. Um, it's knowing your weaknesses though. Yeah, and, exactly. And now like, I love that you have this approach to it because you're proof that you don't have to be perfect. And I'm air quoting here for the yeah. people who are just listening. Um, and you can still be profitable. Yeah. You can still be very successful. Totally. Even if something doesn't work out, you're going to learn something from it. So who cares if you fail? I think the more you fail, the more you're going to learn and that's going to help you more in the, in, in the long run. Mm -hmm. Can yeah. you give us an example of when you failed and then you learned something from it? Yes. Yeah, so I mentioned this to you before, but I was on Dragon's Den and mm -hmm. it was an epic failure. <laughs> um, I got like totally destroyed on the show, but Okay, just for yeah. everyone listening before you continue about your experience, <laughs> I watched the your clip yeah. and I know you were there for a lot longer than they showed, but in that clip it doesn't look too bad. Okay, well Okay, they tell us some, they said some pretty awful things that weren't included in the final edit and mm. I'm not gonna focus on that. <laughs> but like it's a TV show, right? So yeah. they need it to be dramatic. Obviously, I went into this thinking, like, they're going to invest in me. And it was just like, a huge shock. And mm -hmm. a reality check that what I had, well, first of all, I went on the show when I was not a stop motion video app. So I pitched this whole other idea of like, where I was going to take the company to make it sound investable. Mm -hmm. And I say my learning from that is, well, don't pitch for investment until you have traction and product market fit. So we did have downloads, we did have a bit of revenue. Was this a scalable business as like a pregnancy slash travel time-lapse app? No, like it's just not a venture mm -hmm. appealing business. So again, my key learning from that was just don't pitch to investors until you either pitch before you launch or pitch when you are have major traction revenue growth in users all that stuff would you go to investors now i'm not opposed to getting investment mm -hmm. um the thing is it takes up so much time to reach out to investors and as somebody who's been the only full-time employee in the company for the past three years up until a month ago yeah. <laughs> like I've gotten to where I am because I'm in the business growing it and executing on everything from marketing to like, I've got obviously an amazing team of contractors who do development, customer service, all that stuff. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'm the one building out the SOPs and doing all of that and responding to managing all these people. It's like, I can't really step out of the business to like mm -hmm. maybe get funding. Yeah. So then- so, if I yeah. have, if I have the timeline correct, cause you said that it was like the perf, uh, personal time lapse mm -hmm. in the first eight months. And when yeah. you pitched Dragon's Den, 
that was, I guess, in the first eight months. Yeah. So we, we filmed in May. We launched in April. So it was like basically right after Dragon's Den. I was like, okay, what am I doing with this company? Oh. And then, like, yeah. So it was right before. Dragon's Den was right before we pivoted. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Like before we started slowly integrating stop motion features. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like a hard pivot of like, we're this personal time lapse app and now we're stop motion. Mm-hmm. It was more like showing all of the use cases and trying to please everyone versus now we're like very much we're marketing Focused. to like brands, influencers, creators to create these eye-catching videos for their social media pages. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I was wondering what because you said in the investment, going to investments mm-hmm. and preparing takes a lot of time. When you were working on it by yourself in the first eight months, what made you decide to go on the show in the first place? Oh, I was just like, this is going to be awesome. National exposure. I'll go viral. Is that what happened? No, absolutely oh. not. <laughs> Did you get a spike in users? Like a tiny bit, but not much. And okay. like, it was, yeah. <laughs> okay. If only I went on like this year or next mm-hmm. year, I think it would have been pretty successful because we have a clear vision now. Um, and we're just like a more appealing company to invest in, but it is what it is. It's okay. You learned from it. Yeah. And that's what that tip is all about. Yeah. If you fail, not a problem, as long as you learn from it. Yeah. Exactly. So your next tip that you provided was mm-hmm. have patience, trust the process. Now yeah. I've heard this before, mm-hmm. but I don't understand what that means. So can you tell us what this process we're trusting is? <laughs> yeah. So for me, I am always like really quick to jump on everything. Mm-hmm. Like if I have a business idea tonight, I will have a name, a domain purchase, an Instagram handle secured like before I go to bed. <gasps> so for me, yes. Oh my God. That's amazing though. It's amazing. But I understand what you're, where you're going with this. Okay. Continue. <laughs> so for me in like development... And just growing a business in general, you need patience to to see the impact. Like you need patience to see the impact of what you're putting out into the world. It's not going to happen overnight. And like specifically with development, it's a slow process. Like if I want things changed in the app, it's not going to be live tomorrow. I need to work with designers and build up the mock-ups and then send it to my project manager. And then they're going to have questions and then they need to code it. And then they need to do QA and then we need to submit it to Apple and wait for them to approve it. And then, oh, that's like, and then we'll launch it and then maybe there's a bug and then <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's a huge process and it takes as somebody who's very, very impatient, mm-hmm. this has like been very testing and hopefully making me grow as a human, but I still feel like I have no patience. So maybe not. So I never developed an app before. Let's mm-hmm. say you change a feature in yeah. the product you have to go through this long process that you yeah. just said and let's say everything goes right how long does mm-hmm. that take oh it totally depends on what the feature is like oh okay are you just adding a link to a video are you like, let's say you're changing post- like where a feature is i don't know because i'm not a developer <laughs> 
But like I know for me and my team, if we're doing something like we're integrating filters into the actual video editing or we're adding a feature inside the camera, let's say like an interval timer, that's going to be way more intricate to develop because it, it has to do with um, the logic of the camera and the editor versus if we're adding a link to our Instagram page on our settings menu. Like that's, that'll be very quick, like a couple hours. To, oh, that's very yeah. quick. Yeah. Okay, that's okay. Yeah. So I guess it just depends, and it's testing your patience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're still working on this project, though, so it means you like it, and you're yeah. you're gaining your patience because it's yeah. working. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So your next your next tip is mm. to provide value, and yeah. for all the listeners out there, what are your three tips? you can provide on Mm -hmm. how to consistently provide value? I don't know if I have three tips per se, but I would say put yourself in the shoes of your customer. So Mm -hmm. what do they want to see from you to provide value? So for example, our app, like stop motion, it can be a process to create. Even with our app that makes it 10 times quicker than using you know, $500 desktop software, a DSLR, even though we're still an all-in-one app, you still need a few key things like you need to stabilize your phone. So whether you place it against a mug or on a tripod that you have, not moving your camera while you're shooting is an integral part of creating a good stop motion video. So for us and providing value, like we're always putting out tutorials and tips and different hacks so that the user can feel empowered to use our software and feel confident and have good results with their video. So I guess like what is the trigger point for your customer that will make them either like purchase your, your top or I don't know, whatever, like what kind of listeners do you normally have? Are they e-com? Are they SaaS? Do you for, know? What, I don't yeah. know exactly. No, I don't. Okay. So let's, let's just say, yeah let's say SaaS. okay SaaS. so let's say it's like oh i don't know okay e-com (laughs) e-com let's say you're selling a pair of jeans yeah maybe providing value to that person is showing them different body types or that Mm -hmm. size jean in a model in every size or I don't know, maybe it's like showing a video of different ways to wear it and how to style it. Mm -hmm. And like, you can put this out on social media, you can have it on your product pages, email marketing, um, integrated everywhere so that they get to that point of being like, yes, I see myself in these jeans. I'm sold. They meet like my requirements of being sustainable, comfortable, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone has to have the equivalent of your customer saying, I see myself in those jeans. Yeah. That's, that's the end result. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And for your last tip that you have is to mm-hmm. have fun and don't take yourself too seriously. So I'm assuming that at one point you were taking yourself too seriously and you had to kind of overcome that. So can you tell us a little bit more about what No, this- you're actually wrong. <laughs> I am like never serious to the point where like people underestimate me all the time and it's like maybe a problem, but 
honestly, if you're not having fun building a business and like, what are you doing? Unless you're saving lives, like mm-hmm. just have fun with it. Nobody's going to die. Like you're probably building something that you're super passionate about. Yeah. So this is coming from one of your qualities where you've sure, seen that. You call it a quality. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Because yeah. you probably started so many businesses and you probably ended the ones that you weren't having fun with and then you moved on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And now you're having the most fun because mm-hmm. now life laughs, you're spending all your time into it. You're yeah. creating and it's growing and you're staying with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I actually noticed something about all your businesses. Oh, what did you notice? They're all product based. None of them are, are service based. So I actually did do a lot of video work freelance. Um, before I launched Life Flap. So as I was working in-house creating brand videos, I was also doing freelance. So I would shoot street style photos for influencers. I would do brand videos for small businesses. I even shot like filmed weddings. Um, Yeah, so I've done it all. (laughs) (laughs) Service and product. I find product really hard though, actually. I have to admit my hat's off to anyone who can scale a product-based business. And why do you say that? What's, what's the most difficult part about it? Like the margins. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Oh, like, like, sorry, continue. Yeah. So for obviously a tech company, you know, we get maybe 1500 downloads a day. That doesn't really, like, I don't really have to do anything on my end to fulfill that. To, I mean, obviously there's potentially some customer service, but whether I have like a million downloads or five, I can wake up and pretty much have the same work day versus I feel like if you have million orders of jeans coming in, like mm-hmm. you need to figure out that whole logistics and operations side, which I just, I find very overwhelming. <laughs> and the whole like, yeah, like when to place orders, any fulfillment centers, whether you're doing this, like you're white labeling or you're doing it in-house or you're doing dropship. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously dropshipping is easy, but- um, Easier for sure, yeah. Easier. But yeah. then you don't have the brand side. I don't know, there's just so many moving parts. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who like has, my main bread and butter is like a SaaS company, I, I find the whole product side very, um, overwhelming. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That makes sense. When you look at it that way, usually when uh, I'm interviewing entrepreneurs, they usually Mm -hmm. specialize in like, let's say just service-based or just, you know, one specific uh, domain or area. Mm -hmm. And so it's so interesting that you just kind of dip your toes into all of them. And then you kind of have an opinion of which one's your favorite and which one you want to go with. So that's pretty cool. So I think if like I stuck with any of the businesses long Mm -hmm. enough, I could have been successful. Yeah. I just, I like, I have this like high of like starting it. I like, like, I'm a serial starter, I would say. And then once I launch it and then I'm just kind of like, okay, what's next? But you get to the launching point, which I feel like a lot of a lot of people who want to be an entrepreneur and want mm-hmm. to get started just have this struggle to have the idea to execution. And like, that's your specialty. <laughs> yeah, it really is. 
But then I guess you you realize that maybe you're not as passionate about it, and then maybe um, that's why you stop. Well, like for the quarantine cards, obviously quarantine's coming to an end, so that's why I stopped. The other yeah. ones that I've started, like the service based one mm-hmm. of like filming, like I launched Life Laps because I want to build like a video solution that's scalable on a global level. Me having a global impact doing videography is like that. It's trading time for money. I don't like trading time for money anymore. Mm-hmm. And to get where I am with life laps, to do that with videography, I would basically never have to sleep and probably duplicate myself a couple times. <laughs> They're like put out as much and have much as an impact on all the people that are downloading our app as I would be with a video videography service. So this is the no formula podcast because there is no formula to success. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you had to write out your own formula to where you got today, what would your formula be? Just do it. (laughs) (laughs) Like seriously, so many people are just so hung up and like I listen to tons of podcasts and I buy tons of online courses Mm-hmm. But I think so many people get fixated on trying to learn everything before they actually start executing that they just have this like basically analysis paralysis where they just feel so overwhelmed and they don't actually start anything like what you said about people who they, they want to start something, but they never take the leap. It's because mm-hmm. there's so much information out there. It's like, they're trying to like find this perfect, their own perfect formula. But if they just, bought the domain, if they just put up a simple landing page, if they started just marketing with this very like minimal viable product, they could start learning and just go from there instead of waiting for the perfect time, waiting for the perfect website, waiting for the perfect graphic, photography, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So my formula is just hack your way into everything. Like just do it. If you have to be scrappy, that's fine. Um, because you're not going to get like your first dollar or your first customer if you're not live. So, yeah, I think people also don't realize like you have to start making money for you to be an entrepreneur. (laughs) Yeah. And then like in the tech space, you know, traditionally people love to get funding and they love that flashy PR. And I think a lot of these companies, like they, they get all this funding and then they're like, they build these large teams, but they just spend so much time on the funding mm-hmm. and all that stuff. It's like, they're not actually in the business. I mean, growing it. Some, yeah. From what I've seen, like mm-hmm. if you were just in the business, listening to your customers, reading your reviews, providing the value, like I said, I think you could just scale it that way. Awesome. Awesome advice. And before obviously it's not every tech company, but just from what I've seen, uh, that's my two cents. Yeah. Well, that's from your experience. So it makes sense. And as somebody who's successfully, successfully built life laps without funding, I, that's so true. I I think everyone can do it. (laughs) That's so true. You did it. Yeah. You grew it to where it was today. Yeah. Before ending this episode, yeah. What is in store for Life Laps? <laughs> there's so there's so many things that like 
I've learned over the last three years of business that no one else does. Like I've just learned it by trial and error and being like, okay, this is the most effective way to do that. And it makes it so much easier. So yeah, I've decided to make like a balloon decorating, how to start a balloon decorating business course, um, which I will definitely sell hopefully before the end of the year, get that all filmed and ready to go. But just figuring out other ways to sort of scale the business. Another one is like the DIY balloon garland kit so we've found that during a pandemic pandemic doesn't stop birthdays people are still celebrating birthdays at home with their loved ones so we've sold a few diy balloon garland kits online where people all across australia can buy them and then make them up at home and i've created like a separate facebook page that shows people a video of me making it so it's like really good instructions on like how to make these garlands um but yeah covid covid's probably like a blessing in disguise I think for me like in the yeah in the nicest way possible because I even in Jan and Feb when I was working for myself was working crazy hours again and I was kind of like would work really hard then go on holidays and that was like seen as my reward like go on a holiday to Bali type of thing but COVID's made me realize that I really value and like thrive in downtime like and I'm Mm -hmm. really creative and there's things that I want to do different things that don't have to earn me income like things that I just want to like relax and do um and that I can scale the businesses to different avenues that we didn't ever have time to do before Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. so you mentioned a few things that we can add to how to start your own business and that is trusting your gut so there are many Mm -hmm. times in your stories where you really just trusted your gut and you went with it so like with mm-hmm. the balloon that the partnership that you almost had yeah. and just mm-hmm. and just starting and closing all the businesses that you have right yeah. mm-hmm. and then you also said calculated risks yeah so you do take risks but you make sure that you you know calculate them yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, 100%. yeah. Definitely. you make sure you you scope it out first you do your due diligence yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you also, you just mentioned like scaling businesses, build passive incomes, and then also adapting to the, to your audiences and the market yeah. changes. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that has a lot to do with how you've adapted your business. And that's why you're still making yeah. money. I guess the other thing too, with the balloon business is one of my initial goals was that I wouldn't work in it, that I could go on mm-hmm. holidays or I could go away. And that was something that I definitely learned from my other businesses, especially the, my monthly one, and the lashes and the dropshipping is I was exchanging my time. Although with the dropshipping one, I wasn't having to pack orders or anything. I was still exchanging my time and that I had to process the orders like by clicking the button. Like it was still something that I had to do and maintain the website. With the balloon business, I basically wanted it to be fully automated that other people could do it for me. And mm-hmm. we hit that goal within six months. So within six months, I had the two predominantly, the two girls that I had that would do all of the messaging, all of the social media and all of the weekend work and it still be a profitable business. Like that was, that was my biggest goal. It was phenomenal. Like I literally, that was a goal that I had for the 12 month mark and we got there in six months because the business grew so much. Um, But I think going into business and figuring out what do you actually want to do? Like, do you want to be working? Is this something you're so passionate about that you want to work in it every day and you're not going to get sick of it? And for me, balloons just wasn't that like, like, I saw balloons as money-making. Like I saw it as a really profitable business that I could sort of be creative in, but like I didn't have to be there for it to run. Mm-hmm. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's part of how you start your business is that you have to decide yeah. that before going in. Is yeah, Do you want to be in it or do you want to be passively making income from it? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, definitely. So I know we're coming around to the one hour mark. Oh, I- yeah, yeah. So I still have like a thousand questions for you, but we'll, yeah. we'll wrap it up. <laughs> you didn't realize the time. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Okay. So you actually have 
two other businesses that we'll briefly touch upon. Sure. Um, and then we'll get to some quick questions that I'll just ask you quickly and then we'll, sure. we'll wrap it up. So you also, I really want you to tell everybody about your app story. Okay. 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 So tell yeah. us, yeah. tell us what it is. Okay. Yeah. And, and then how you got the idea and how you made it work. Okay. Okay. So I got the idea. So I obviously had the lash business since I was 21 mm-hmm. and the How old advertising, are you now? I'm 29. Okay. Yeah. So when I had the, like when I first had the lash business, acquiring clients was easy. I'd post on social media and your stuff would get seen so easily by your following, especially if you had like a private group or a page or something, it's more likely to be seen. But over the years, it's so much more pay to play. Like if you want people to see your stuff, you have to be paying for it. And that's fine because like, I feel like my social media ads for lashes kill it. Like we, the cost of conversions is like so low for us for acquiring new clients. But I know a lot of businesses struggle with it. And like for me, I'm someone who books appointments last minute. So if I need to get my hair done or like brows done or whatever done, I book it so last minute. And it's a pain in the ass having to ring around so many different places and try and find an available appointment. So I had this like, mum was over and I was sitting on the couch and I was reading an article. I don't remember what it was. And I don't know, it's kind of like I black out. And then all of a sudden this idea comes and mum remembers it too. I was like, mum, I've just had a business idea. And she was like, when it happened again, (laughs) literally it's like, it just happens. And I was like, what if there was an app that one would support business owners by being able to market their available appointments, but on the flip side for customers being able to input being like, Hey, today's date, a time range that I'm available, the service that I'm after. And it only showed me available appointments. And I was like, why is that not already a thing? And there are other businesses that do similar, but I feel like our layout and some of the key features that we have are completely different to others on the market. And I was like, well, it was the same thing. I was like, I have this idea. If I don't move on it, it's, someone's going to do it anyway. And it was sort of similar. Like, have you ever used Airtasker? No. So Airtasker is like an app that like you could put up and say, say if you had like, 20 friends over for dinner and there's a big pile of dishes in your sink and you didn't want to do it. You can put an ad up saying, I want someone to come and wash my dishes. I'll pay them $50. And like, it's sort of like someone could find that and be like, okay, I'll do that. I'll do that job. So it's like, it's, that's what Airtasker is. I'm pretty sure it's global. Like it's big here. It's sort of just getting big here, but like it's people earn money on it from freelancing and stuff too. People okay, will post being like, I need it. Maybe I'm just out yeah. of the loop. It's possible. Yeah. Anyway, I had that idea like years ago. I never did anything. Then Airtasker came out and I was like, all right, well, they've used my idea, but like they never knew it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I had this idea, I was kind of like, all right, fuck, like I need to make an app. Like I need an app for this. Like I didn't want it to be a desktop. I wanted it to be like an app, like two apps. It was originally going to be one app. And then literally this is in between my full-time job. I'd found out that we were offshoring. So I was in a manager position now. And I had found out from my leadership that we were, the account was going to be closing. Like the Australian team that I manage was going to be replaced by an India team and we would have to train them and basically give them our jobs. Um, And I know a lot of people can be really like up in arms about that and be like so angry and like the whole process. And I get that. But to me, I was like, this is a phenomenal opportunity. Like, if it, and I, that's what I said to my staff. Like I was managing a team of 31 at this stage and I was like, be mad, be angry. But like at the end of the day, this is going to, this is happening. We don't have control over it. But what we can control is the way that we do it. And like, this is going to work so well for you all looking for jobs in the future type of thing. 
But I had this app idea and I was kind of like, what do I do? So I had like, I think I had like three weeks before my first trip to India. And I rang around to a few Australian app developer companies based predominantly down in Melbourne. And they were so fucking expensive. Like Mm -hmm. there was this one company that wanted like seven and a half grand for a two week intensive of the, of which I was only in their office for four days. And I was like, for four days, I'm paying you seven and a half grand just to have this intensive to see if I have a viable option for them to build an app. What? I know. And I was like seven and a half grand. And this is the weirdest thing. Um, I, I feel like every time that I've needed like a lump sum of money for something, I've come into it somehow. And I, so prior to this, I'd also resigned from my full-time job strategically. So I resigned because I knew that I had leverage because my previous manager, once I took on the manager role, my previous manager who was based in my hometown with me, she resigned and left and she was great, but she was never someone who would go after like a pay rise or something. Mm -hmm. Whereas I was like, bitch, we need a pay rise. (laughs) um, And once she left, I knew that her leadership, which were based in Melbourne and Adelaide, which is like towns in different States, I knew that I had leverage because they needed me to continue running the team, whether they knew it or not. And once she left, I gave it four weeks and then they sort of assumed that I would take the manager role. And I said, no, like I want to be earning this amount. Like, and it was a big, it was like 30 grand extra a year. Like mm-hmm. this huge jump. Cause I was like, well, I was able to use my lash business as leverage being like, if I take on this manager role, I'm going to have to sacrifice being able to stay back later to complete stuff and not be able to do lashes. So like, that's where I'm factoring in this money. And they were like, you're never going to get that. Like they literally said, that's not going to happen. Like you can't have it. And I said, that's fine. I'm not taking the manager role. So then they applied. They put a job out for the manager role. I don't know if I'm getting off topic here, but like Go that's really important. Um, they put out an ad for the manager role and they had different people apply for it. I remember they came to me with like the different options of in like in our office in Ballarat, different people that had applied, not from my team, from like other managers from different accounts. And I remember just laughing, being like, best of luck. Like, sure. Anyway, they had two Melbourne managers come down because I'd given notice, like I resigned because they weren't going to give me the pay rise. And I said, that's fine. If you want to lose a manager, my previous manager and me being the team leader, the only two that know anything about this team, because our other leadership had never taken the time to sort of, it was, you sort of churn people out. So Mm -hmm. if you lost two people that had been there for a long time, it could, could be very detrimental to the account. Um, so I resigned. So then they're on a time pressure because I'd given my four weeks notice. I knew that they were going to have to make moves very quickly. So they put that job offer out and in the interim, they got two managers from Melbourne to come down every day and like learn from me and teach them. And that was fine. Like I was fully content with leaving by this stage because I had my lash business. The balloons were doing really well. And I thought, well, I can leave. Um, long story short, it got to three days before I was due to finish up. So I had my like right before I was due to leave and I had to run them through like my monthly reporting. And I got along with these two managers really well, like really, really well. And we were doing, and they didn't know any of the background of like why I was leaving. And my main reason for leaving was that I felt that my age came into it. I think I was like 25 at this point when I'd asked for this massive pay rise and, oh no, 26. And I felt like they undervalued my like intelligence within the team and that like Mm -hmm. my leadership skills, like everything was questioned. But I knew that when my manager had left, they'd offered her heaps of money to stay. Yet they never offered me anything. So I was like, you hmm. don't care about me. Why would I stay? And that was that was my senior leadership, not these two managers that came down. Anyway, I ran them through all of our 
like monthly reporting, which is pretty extensive and it goes back to the client. So like, it's a lot of work. And what was supposed to be like a two hour session was like a five and a half hour session to run them through all of this. Yeah. Crazy. And again, I only had like three days left of my job. Mm-hmm. and at the end of it like I got along with them so well they were kind of like why are you leaving like you're so well respected by your team you're so good at your job like all this praise and you know when you get like so angry and fired up you get like a croaky voice and you feel like you're about to cry and you're like on the verge. like <laughs> it was like that and yeah. like so in the room it was those two managers a uh, female and male and then like my team leader who's below me in my team but she was in there because she was staying on And I just sort of said to them, I was like, in my croaky voice being like, I'm not leaving because I hate my job or I hate my team. I was like, it's the opposite. I love my job. Like, I really enjoy my job. I know I'm good at it. I've got so much value from like the client. Like, I know they value me. I was like, I'm leaving because I don't feel respected. I was like, you had my manager leave and she was offered money to stay. I haven't been given any of that. And I said that like, I feel like my age is in question. I feel like you think I'm too young for this role. Like that, and I'm like, and now... I was like, now you guys understand, like you guys can see exactly what goes into this role. Cause I think they were very much thinking that I was bullshitting the amount of work that it takes to run a team of 31. And no, like, it's, predominantly, a lot. it's a lot. And like 21 lot. of those staff were casual. So you're dealing with like uni rosters and like trying to figure out rostering and like managing call volumes and all this sort of shit. Anyway, the next day, and so I get teary and then they get teary. So like both of them are like tearing up and I'm like, what? This meeting has gone like the completely different direction it was supposed to. Um, and I will tie this back into where I was going. But yeah, because for everyone listening, this is important and you'll see why in a moment. This is so important. Yeah. So the next day, and like we sort of left that meeting, left it, and then they had other meetings in the afternoon. So I didn't really have to deal with them again. And I was like, cool, we can like recover and just not forget about this. I finished up in two days. I'm out of here. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. To the point where like I knew my team had like planned a farewell present and like a morning tea and they'd been collecting money and everything. Like I knew all about that. The next day I come into work and Dave, who was the other, ma- like the male manager that had come down from Melbourne, asked me to come into a meeting room. And he was like, look, after yesterday's conversation, he's like, it's so evident that you shouldn't be leaving. Like you're phenomenal at your job. He's like, I had nothing to do with like the trying to get you to stay or anything. He's like, I was just given this role to come down here, but we had the same manager. So my senior leadership was his senior leadership. And he was like, I've spoken to them and I've given them the run through of everything you said yesterday and how like invested you are and like the skill set that you have and that you shouldn't be leaving and that we shouldn't let it be leading talent like you leave. And I was like, like I said to him, like, I really appreciate it. And I hate that it's taken to this point now for a manager to actually understand what we do down here because we're a regional town. We're so separate to Melbourne, like the big city and like what they do down there. But we're such an integral part of like the account. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, look, there's two options. You can walk away in two days and forget about this conversation and we can leave it at that. He's like, otherwise, I've teed up a meeting with our senior leadership this afternoon if you want to attend and we can have a discussion around the requirements that you need for you to feel respected and that you can stay on the account. And I was kind of like, like this last month had been like the probably the last three months since I found out my previous manager was leaving was like the biggest emotional roller coaster. Like, and this is the most infuriating part. I used to film myself going to work every day for like probably a two week time frame once I was about to resign, having like tears in the morning, being like, "Fuck this place!" Like, I just want out. Like, they're not going to offer me money to stay. Like, and I deleted it. All got deleted. Like, a cloud backup didn't work. Anyway, long story short, they um, we had this meeting, and my manager like my actual head up manager 
like apologized profusely and was like, I'm like really sorry. Like I didn't see it how you saw it. Like I understand where you're coming from now, Dave and this other lady have um, expressed like the amount of work that was put on you once your manager left being the manager and team leader role. And they were like, so what do you want? Like, what do you want out of like, if you say like, what do we have to pay you? And I think at this stage, I think I was on like 65,000 a year. Like that was my salary or something. And I remember Dave saying to me, he's like, you're not going to get like 200,000. And I was like, I don't want 200,000. Like there's no way that I would be expecting to get like a jump of like 140,000 and like yeah. tell me like, that's not what I want. And they were like to me, have the weekend to think about it. But Monday morning, send us through an email with everything you want. Because it wasn't just money for me. I said to them, like, I want backing to make our team more stable because we were predominantly casual based. If we had three casuals resign that could literally message me overnight and say, I'm out. I had no stability within the team. So I was like, I want your backing on like getting additional roles created. Like I had like a list of all these things. Anyway, I sent off an email, highballed the price that I want, which was like, I think it was, I think I said 99,000 as like my annual salary, mm-hmm. which was like literally a 30, $33,000 jump. And they approved it and it got approved. <laughs> and on the Monday morning when I had the meeting and they said, yep, so we're going to go ahead with it. I almost died because I was like, I've highballed this because, and I said to them, like, when we had that initial meeting, I was like, I'm not negotiating. I was like, I'm not doing this negotiating bullshit. Like this should have happened four weeks ago before any of this crap had to happen. Mm-hmm. Like this is on you. Like if I don't get what I want, that's perfectly fine. I respect that. That's fine. But I'm out. Like I'm leaving in two days. So I knew that they had the time pressure of me leaving, that things had to happen fast. Um, so then I stayed. So then I came into all of this more money coming into my account. And then I had this idea for the app. And when we were found out that we were offshoring, I was given a retention of $10,000 to stay on the account. It was just like a lump sum payment to stay on the account and help, help like do the transition. I got that okay. twice, actually. I got that. <laughs> just casually. I got that. 20K. Yeah. I, yeah literally, literally, but that's exactly what I mean. Like yeah. me who, it was bizarre because although that money was given to me, then I was building an app and I was like, where am I coming up with the money for that? But I was like, perfect leaving my full-time job, yeah. who are giving me $10,000, yeah. app team that's in the location where my job's sending me, there's the money for the app. So, so I think at this point, we have to add to the list, like trust the process. Trust the process. Trust. And like the timing of things, like everything happens for a mm-hmm. reason. Mm. So you were developing this app. You yeah. had shipped off to India to, st- to help the team, the new outsourcing team. And you have $10,000 yeah. in the bank account. And then tell us what happens. My favorite part of the story. Yeah. So obviously like my full-time job sent me to India. So it required Mm. me to go to India. And once I looked around in Melbourne and found that app development in Melbourne was like crazy expensive, I was like, how am I going to do this? And it was mum who was like, "Um, you're going to India. You're going to a a city that's really techie, like really, it's like the Silicon Valley of India, it's Mm -hmm. Bangalore. Mm -hmm. Why don't you look for app development there? And I was kind of like, why didn't I think about it? (laughs) And because of the time difference in India too, so they are five and a half hours behind us. So when we were over there, we were waking up super early and then finishing by midday. So while the rest of my team was sitting around a pool, drinking cocktails at the Hilton, I was like, I'm out of here. And I'd go into an app office. And I went to India, I think four times over 12 months. And I think the biggest stint I did was like four weeks in India. 
Um, but the first couple, like the first time I reached out, it was really important to me that I wanted to meet the team. I didn't want it mm -hmm. to just be all online. I wanted face to face, sit down. I had all of these drawings in a book of like what I wanted the app to look like and the features and functions of it. And I had some phone, like WhatsApp calls with different companies and like the managers. And then there was one that really stood out, just like really well-spoken, um, could show me previous, like a lot of the previous work that they'd done. Um, and yeah, I went and met them and I still remember being in the taxi and like, have you ever been to India? No. It's wild. Like absolutely yeah. wild. Like it's like Bali on steroids. Um, <laughs> and I remember being in this taxi being like, I don't know where I'm going, who I'm meeting. Like, it was just like the weirdest feeling in this city. And Bangalore is not touristy. So it's not a place that tourists really go. So mm -hmm. being a white female, I stand out like something shocking. Yeah. And so you do get a lot of looks and stuff. But eventually I found the place that I needed to go, met with the team and I was like, let's do this. So that was October 2018 when it all started. That was my first trip to India back then. And then, yeah. All four times that you went, was it? But from the team? Yeah, uh, from, yeah, all from the team. From was, okay, okay. Yeah. It was all yeah. uh, paid for job. from the full-time job. Yeah. And now we're like a year. Oh my gosh, we're almost two years. Well, yeah, since, we, since, since I started. So the apps didn't start building until probably 2019. And then in, see, the timeline of things could get kind of confusing. So we offshored some of our work at the end of 2018 without mm. knowing that the entire account was going. I didn't even know. And then it got to mid 2019 and they announced the entire account was going. So then we were going back to India. Um, so I first met with the team when we were originally going and then found out we were going again. And I was like, perfect because we were nearing the complete or nearing the like sort of the tough stuff of like doing all the development, like, and figuring out the designs, like completing the designs and stuff. So it was great because I could go back over there, meet with them, sign off on things and they could start the development and I didn't have to be there. Um, and yeah, so it's been like two years, over two years since I've had the idea. Um, and only really now we feel finalizing things. Like I think if I had gone with an Australian company, we would have been finished probably months ago. But this is where I think timing's really important. Like why would I, if, if I had have launched when I planned, which was literally February of this year, mm -hmm. launching before a pandemic, like it would have been yeah. a, a horrible time to launch. Yeah. Even now is kind of, especially in my hometown, really probably not the right time to launch because like we're teetering on going into another lockdown. So mm -hmm. it's like pointless. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the app story. Which mm. I love it. I love I that know, you... You took advantage yeah. of your time there because your company sent you there and then yeah. you were like, peace, I'm going to go create an app. <laughs> it was crazy because too, like, I I'm someone that, when I'm here in Australia, my full when I was working full time, I had my full time job, the Lash Business and Balloon. So I was working my normal days, Monday to Friday, doing the business, doing the full time job. Then I do after hours lashes for that. And then weekends I was doing balloons. So I was flat out. So going to India, although I was going for work for I, like my full time job, it was kind of like a holiday because I could have all this downtime. And then in classic Celia form, I had like transformed my like cool half days to then being like double the amount of work I was doing because I was spending <laughs> half of it in an app office. Like it was crazy. It's so crazy. And I, I can't wait for like the app to launch and to be able to talk more about the whole process of it because I think the story behind it is so interesting. Then you'll have to come back and tell us about yeah. it for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So then the last business that you kind of started by accident is yeah. business coaching. And this happened yeah. because 
you just posted your story all over mm. Facebook, which is how yeah. I actually yeah. found you and I approached yeah. you because I saw how amazing um, all your projects were. Yeah. And so people just started reaching out and asked for mm -hmm. help. Yeah. So, so how are you approaching uh, this? So I've always sort of done business coaching, but I've never really thought of it as business coaching. It's just sort of helping out friends and family start a business. Mm -hmm. And I think I severely underestimate the amount of knowledge I have across a wide range of like systems and different platforms to like market your business or just like how to run a business effectively. Mm -hmm. And then I do those posts in the group. So I post in multiple like female entrepreneurial groups on Facebook and it just went off to the point where I had like 75 messages in my like message requests of people being like, Hey, I've got this idea. I don't know what to do. Can I have some more information? And by this stage, I don't think had I started, oh yeah, I must've started YouTube by then because then I could link people and be like, Hey, if you want more information on like the lash business, this is what I, this is how I started it type of thing. So I sort of used those posts, what I originally thought as like a funnel for like my YouTube growth has then turned into people being like, no, but like, I actually want your help. <laughs> um, so I created like a separate Facebook page and there's probably like 40 people in that. And I've had, um, I think I've, I haven't had heaps of business coaching. I think I've had maybe six different sessions with different people for business coaching. Um, and probably three of them have been paid ones. But now I'm kind of like, once I have the, cause I was really nervous when I was having these business coaching sessions with random people, I was kind mm -hmm. of like, I did like a few free ones. And then I was like, no, no, like I'm actually helping these people. Like this one yeah. lady from like Sydney reached out and I had a session with her. And after it, she messaged me like, you've completely inspired me to like do everything that I've ever wanted to do. And I was like, the thing that really frustrates me with business coaches is a lot of business coaches have never run a business before other than their coaching business. Mm -hmm. They there's this there's this whole like female business coach thing online at the moment where like that I'm I don't know if it's always been there, I've just never realized it, but the whole like you can make ten thousand dollars a month from business coaching. <laughs> and I'm like, but you none of you have had a business before. Like <laughs> what information do you have that you can tell people other than like mindset stuff and like encouraging? Yeah. Whereas I think I provide a lot of value being like, Hey, what about this idea? Why don't you go and try this? Or why don't you mm. put that into an ebook and then sell it online as like passive income, like just yeah. different ideas across that. So yeah, that's something that I definitely will make time for, but it's not like a primary source of income for me. I love it though. And that, mm. and for everyone listening, those are her six businesses that she started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went through 11 steps on how to start your business. Mm -hmm. And so just before we leave, I just mm -hmm. want to ask you some quick questions. Sure. Um, okay. So in terms of time management, people are hearing yep. this and they're thinking, how the hell is Celia starting so many businesses? And a lot mm. of them overlap, especially yeah, oh my God, time. Yeah especially mm. with your full-time job, how yeah. do you manage all your time, number one, and then stay motivated to keep working on so many projects? Yeah, I think I'd be lying if I said I wasn't motivated by money. Like, I think anyone that says <laughs> no, they do business just because they love it is lying. Like, yeah. if you did that and you weren't making money, you probably wouldn't be doing it. So mm. I was definitely motivated by having money, not for expensive things, just for I want to, I want to have a lifestyle and that's something that I'm definitely working on now is have a lifestyle that I'm not exchanging my time for money. I want money to come in around the clock, whether I'm sleeping, holidaying or dead. Like I want my money to come in. <laughs> and I think the time management type of thing, like I knew with the lashes, I knew it was manageable, like being able to work full time and then do lashes after hours. I knew 
it would be a stretch, but I found I got to a point where lashes was really therapeutic and relaxing. So I didn't hate, I don't, I've never hated doing lashes. I find it really relaxing. When I had the drop shipping stuff, it could all be done while I was sitting at my full-time job. Um, mm-hmm. And it didn't have that like customer, it did have customer service to it, but it wasn't like a customer service pressure of people knowing who I was or needing anything. With the balloon business, I knew that it was predominantly weekend work and I had weekends free. So I was like, perfect. I can fill it with, I can cancel or not cancel some lashes, but like organize my time better that I can do lashes in the morning, balloons in the afternoon. And then it got to the point where I was just doing balloons on the weekend. And then I knew my goal going into the balloon business was to have staff to run it. So I didn't need to be exchanging all of my time for that. So Again, it's sort of like the calculated risk weighing up all of the options. Like, what what do I need to spend time and money on um, to sort of get this business where it needs to be? Yeah, I think that's good advice. Because then I also, I kind of want to follow up and say, do you schedule downtime, like for breaks? Mm. Yeah, I kind of do, especially now. Um, definitely when I finished my full-time job and it got to January and, Feb- like January and February, I was working long hours in all of my stuff and I was kind of like wait this isn't what you want to be doing you want to have more downtime um so yeah usually I'll have a couple of days where I will like lashes I usually do from Tuesdays through to Friday and then and not all day like I'll sort of block them in like time blocks um and then I have downtime around that so yeah managing my time definitely is completely different now and that's when like when all those people started messaging me about the business coaching thing, I just responded and I was like, look, I'm just letting you know, like I'm really precious with my time. So like, I'm happy to answer a few questions on Facebook messenger, but if you want my time, you can buy it with business coaching. So yeah. yeah. And people were like, yeah, yeah, sure. We need you. Yeah. well, And that's the, that's the thing Like, people were like, okay, well how much is it? And when can we, when can we do it? So yeah. Crazy. That's I love cool. it. Crazy. Okay. Next quick question. Mm-hmm what is your maybe one piece of advice for people starting a business and what do you think is the one thing holding people back from just jumping into it like you do uh, I think the biggest thing stopping people from just doing it is the fear of everyone else's opinions mm-hmm. like like even even for me for YouTube like I've always wanted to do YouTube and I've spoken openly to so many people being like I've always wanted to do it my issue was time mm-hmm. and when I came so my process with YouTube was I wanted to have multiple videos up before I mentioned it to anyone on my social media. And it was strategic because I knew that people would be interested being like, wait, Celia's doing YouTube. And like, they would watch multiple of my videos to up my watch time. But to a lot of people that I've spoken about since I came out with my YouTube, they're like, oh, I've always wanted to do it. And I'm like, well, what stops you? And everyone, everyone that said that is like their fear of like being judged by other people or like their friends are going to see it or like whatever. And I'm like, why does it matter though? Like, why would you stop doing something you've always wanted to do mm-hmm. because someone else like like really if I don't know I put myself in other people's shoes and I'm like if I went to someone and said oh I'm doing this my response would be like cool like that's great it doesn't affect me like what I'm doing doesn't affect anyone else and what mm-hmm. they're doing they've got to everyone's too busy to really give a shit and like they really do give a shit and put you down for it are they really the people you want in your life no exactly and yeah. Uh, tip number one from how to start a business from our conversation is not care about what it is. Yeah, so literally, don't care. <laughs> Look, don't full care circle. We've come full circle. Yeah, that's, that's step yeah. number one, and you told yeah. us that right from the beginning. So yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Last question is: mm-hmm. This podcast is called the No Formula Podcast because there mm-hmm. is no formula to success. Everyone has mm-hmm. their own formula. 
What do you think is your formula that got you to where you are today? Just giving it a go, just trying. <laughs> and just, I think, that, I think that's it. Like I have no business background whatsoever. Like mm -hmm. when I finished school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't want to go into full-time job. Didn't want to go to uni. I did a resort management water recreation course, which had a, yeah, I know. I have, <laughs> there's so many little things that pop up, <laughs> but it was a, one of the big components in the second year was like, create a mock business and you had to like figure out exactly how you would start a business. And I thought nothing of it at the time. And then when I started my lash business, I referred back to it to be like, wait, I have to register for an ABN. How do I do that? Like, how do I register business name? Like all of mm. that. So, but other than that, I have no formal business training. I just have ideas that I think, you know what, that could work and run with it. So I really hope you change your YouTube channel. Like, you know, when you click <laughs> on your profile, it says Celia yeah. Gurkovich. I said that yeah. And then yep. the banner, it just says, give it a go. <laughs> give it a go. Yeah, maybe I should. Because that's it. Like, I literally, like, I don't have any training. I don't have any, like, I don't know. I've never, I've just sort of been like, okay, well, if I start a business, this is what I'm going to need. This is what I need to do. Mm -hmm. just, just, just do it. Yeah. 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 I love it. Yeah. Give it a go. Everyone yeah. give it a go. If you have an idea. Yeah. Give it a go. Give it a go. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Put it into an Excel spreadsheet. If it's profitable, give it a go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Definitely. Well, Celia, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge in. <laughs> thank you for having me. Almost an hour and a half. Yeah, I know. <laughs> thank I'm you so, so much. <laughs> uh, no, not sorry at all. But if anyone wants yeah. any more information, please go mm -hmm. visit Celia's YouTube channel. She has yeah. all the stories in detail and even shows you her Excel sheets. Oh, yeah. And I looked at all there. of them. Yeah. Hours and, and it's hours. crazy that I have that because that was all on for like my work computer. So when I left, I moved everything onto OneDrive oh, and yeah, I just yeah. kept it all. So I didn't even know I had them. Like I was surprised. Amazing though. Cause then yeah, you got to amazing. see all the profit margins and everything. Yeah. So very, very cool. So everything. yeah, thank you so much. And uh, we're definitely going to keep in touch because you're probably going to start another definitely. seven businesses. Yeah. So <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> <laughs> I want to I keep, definitely. I want to stay in the loop. Okay. Perfect. So, <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Bye. Before ending this episode, I want to highlight Celia's tips for starting a new business. In the episode, I highlight nine tips, but upon review, there are actually 12 of them. I will briefly mention them if you want to take note. Also, so you know, the tip to identify your goals at the beginning of a project was mentioned near the end of the interview, but I pushed it to the beginning of the list. The other tips are in the order Celia mentioned them. Number one, identify your goals from the beginning. Two, find a gap in the market. Three, don't care about what other people think. Four, figure out what you want to do. Five, learn as you go. Don't worry about knowing things before you start. Six, determine if the idea is profitable and do your research. Seven, trust your gut. Eight, take calculated risks. 9. Learn how to scale the business. 10. Learn how to make passive income. 11. Trust the process. And 12. The most important one is give it a go. Thanks so much for listening, everyone.